This is Wahid Jensen, and you are listening to Away Beyond the Rainbow. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh and welcome to the sixth episode of Away Beyond the Rainbow, this podcast series dedicated to Muslims struggling with same-sex attractions who want to live a life true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam. I am your host, Wahid Jensen. Uh, thank you so much for joining me in today's episode. Today's episode is a very, very special episode. Joining me is my dear friend Sinan who is going to share with us his story. Inshallah, in every season of this podcast, we will have one or two uh, guest speakers who will share with us their own personal stories. Uh, so this is the first story in the first season, inshallah. I would like to add a disclaimer note at the beginning of this episode, and I am adding this after having finished the entire interview and while finalizing the editing process. Just a trigger warning for individuals who might be listening uh, who have mental health issues, particularly severe depression or death wishes or suicidal ideations, uh, this episode might be triggering. Please make sure that you have uh, someone with you and you navigate these topics with a licensed mental health professional if needed. Uh, these topics that we will be addressing in this episode are quite heavy uh, very emotional and very triggering for some people. So please, please make sure that you know this before proceeding, inshallah. Um, Sinan's voice has been edited in this episode to maintain his anonymity and privacy. Assalamu alaikum, Sinan. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I'm really happy that you're joining me today uh, to share your story with the audience. I know that this is a huge step. This is not an easy decision. And I know that um, you have chosen to be vulnerable and you have chosen to share with us a journey from so much pain to a lot of growth and healing. Alhamdulillah. Um, I remember you and I started talking a little more than a year and a half ago. Yes. Um, and you had, at that time, I remember you were a couple of months, almost half a year through a huge, um, shift in your yes. life, if we are to put it that way, yeah. so to speak. Um, I tend to call it a miracle. A miracle. Yes. 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 Alhamdulillah. So I'll, I'll, the floor is yours. Feel free to start in whichever way you like. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of the audience members are going to identify with the story. Uh, I am sure that you, um, a lot of the things that you will say are going to resonate with a lot of the brothers and sisters out there who are struggling with this huge trial. Um, and yeah, so, so we're going to cover a lot of ground today. I'll give you the floor. Please feel free to start your story. Um, 
I um, yeah. So um, the reason uh, I, I just want to uh, say that uh, the reason I am doing this is because I really have been at a very bad place for a very long time, for decades actually. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, uh, I was that for a very long time, and um, and now I'm not. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Um, I'm actually at a much better place. Alhamdulillah. I'm I'm at a place that I never would have imagined that I would come to. Alhamdulillah. Wa shukrullah. And you know, I just said that I'm at a much better place, but just thinking about it now makes me um, very sad and shiver because I am. Um, um, I really was at a very bad place for decades, for two decades. Um, at the time, I had been struggling with, as I say, for three decades. So basically, it was layers of darkness and suffocation and um, and despair, a feeling of complete devastation um, that I was going through and enduring for so long, um, and um, and it was a complete lack of hope. It was complete, uh, yeah, it was complete devastation. And you know, I've been subhanallah. This really takes me by surprise because I mean, obviously, I've. I knew that I was doing this episode, so I've taken notes um, as to, you know, just to have an account that is just slightly structured. um, And um, just looking down on my notes, I really don't know where to start and where to end, uh, because this is really um, surprisingly uh, hard to do still, subhanAllah. Um, I I really was at a very bad place for so long. and I had to, I mean, I had lost the ability to cry uh, also all of the, in, I mean, during all of those years. And, and, um, and alhamdulillah, uh, after the healing that has come back. Uh, so um, maybe I would have been, a, I mean, it would have been easy for me to do this episode when it was going on because I really wasn't that, um, yeah, emotional. Um, as I am now. Obviously, it was emotionally uh, hard, but now it's just difficult. Um, anyway, um, I understand it's not an easy. Um, it's it's not going to be easy, obviously for you and for a lot of people listening. But um, so let's start with some place and take it from there. I remember you told me that during the age of nineteen or twenty some things that started in your life, um, that's when things became more difficult for you. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah, um, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, So what, I mean, I've, I've known that I have, as I say, uh, since uh, early childhood. I mean, I think the first time I... Um, um, I realized that I was different, um, so to speak, was when I was six or something. Um, and um, But, you know, as I say, really uh, wasn't a problem until I reached the age of 19. Um, I had decided really early on that I, that, that I wouldn't limit myself because of SSA. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't deal with SSA. I didn't want to deal with SSA. SSA wasn't something that was to characterize who I was. Um, so even though I was having these very strong um, um, inclinations, um, mm-hmm. I, I decided early on, because I knew that it was wrong uh, to act upon them, uh, that 
it wasn't going to define who I was. Mm-hmm. What happened ultimately, however, was that because I did that, because that was my approach, because I uh, shoved it on, under the carpet, so to speak, um, so so fiercely and so uh, unconditionally, it actually took over my life um, completely for decades. And and I can see that looking back, that that was what was happening when I was 19, but I didn't realize it at the time. I always used to say that I'm, as I say, it's not a problem in my life because I'm not in denial of SSA. I know that I have SSA, but I was in denial of the effects of shoving it under the carpet. Mm-hmm. So what happened, um, and I didn't realize that, what happened when I was 19 was that up until that point, I had uh, a perfect life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I was um, brought up in a very uh, religious family, uh, also a very culturally inclined family, and... and um, uh, and I was, in fact, the most religious in the whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my my parents would send me off to um, to the local mosque uh, quite early on, um, and and that gave me um, a very intimate relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala very early on. Um, I and I still have that Alhamdulillah, and that has been my rescue. And my challenge uh, throughout the years. and So I knew that it was wrong to act upon it, um, but I didn't feel wrong. I, I, I really want to emphasize that. I, I didn't feel that, that I was to blame. I knew that I hadn't chosen this, um, but I really wanted, I really, really wanted it to go away, uh, but it didn't. And um, so I would, you know, pray uh, through my adolescent years. I would pray... Uh, but you know, there's no such thing. Obviously, looking back now, to, um, to pray the gay away, as they say, right? It's from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and uh, and there might be different. I mean, various reasons for it. Uh, I don't know, but uh, but once you have it, you have it. Uh, that was my approach to it. Um, also, because it really felt natural. It felt yeah. I mean, I know that the Islamic position is that it goes against the the human fitra, uh, so it shouldn't be natural, right? But it felt natural. Mm-hmm. It felt natural and it still does. Uh, so you're talking about the attractions. The attractions, mm-hmm. yes. But, you know, I've, I had I decided early on that I didn't want it to control my life. I didn't want it to define my life. And it wasn't certainly uh, allowed to interfere with my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. So um, that is also why... Even though I was solely attracted to men, I decided early on, very early on, that I was to get married at some point. Mm. I knew that that Islamic position on marriage is that it's it's half of the completion of your deen. Right. And obviously, I wasn't going to um, lack that. Mm-hmm. Right. The half of my deen, subhanallah. Right. So I was trying to. I mean, throughout my my adolescent years, I was trying to condition myself for that. Okay. And I also come from a culture where people, at that time anyway, would get uh, married off very early on. Mm-hmm. So I knew that it was inevitable for me. I would get married at some point. So what happened at the age of 19 was that I graduated from high school and I was the top of my class, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And everything seemed to work out for me. I mean, it was, I felt that I was just about to conquer the world. 
Right. Subhanallah. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, I was so full of myself. Subhanallah. But I was also very, you know, um, very grateful um, to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and I had a very strong connection to him. Uh, I had a um, really good reputation within the family. Um, I had a lot of friends. Um, I felt liked and loved, and and it was really nice, alhamdulillah. But all of a sudden, it just changed. And I went to my doctor to see her, the family doctor. And she said that I might be suffering from depression, and that was a really strange idea. You were 20 at the time? I was 19. Mm -hmm. I was 19, and I had just started um, studying at, at college. She said that I, I mean that it might be depression, and it was, that was a really strange idea. And I said, well, you know, I, I doubt it because because I, I really have the per- the most perfect life. I mean, I've just started on college. It's my dream education, and and uh, and there's nothing wrong in my life. Nothing is lacking. I have everything working for me. Um, there's nothing wrong. Nothing nothing is missing. So so I doubt it. And then she said, well, you know, okay, uh, she sent me to a psychiatrist and, 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 and he was certain that, that it was a depression. So what, do you, what were you feeling at the time? A huge void, emptiness, lack of pleasure. It was as if the meaning of life had evaporated. I mean, all of a sudden. Um, and it grew deeper and deeper. And uh, what ultimately happened throughout the following years was complete darkness to overtake my life. So I was hospitalized at some point. I dropped out of college. My parents didn't understand anything. No one did. My friends, I didn't know what it was. And, um, and you know, the, the psychiatrists, to begin with, were quite uh, hopeful. They said, well, you know, you have everything working for you and you know they kept asking questions and said so what is it what is it what is it so I mean is there anything anything in your life that is missing anything that is and actually one of them at some point asked me if I had same-sex attractions and I had I wasn't you know as I said before I had decided that same-sex attraction was not going to be an issue in my life so and I didn't feel that it was the cause so I said no I was in denial of the effects of it so and so there was no purpose in telling him that I had same-sex attractions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I said, "No, this is uh, no, no. I don't have that, and 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 even if I had, uh, it would it wouldn't have been a problem, um, because you know it's against my religion and 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 all of that." And then I just tried to close the door, and, and effectively, effectively did so uh, to that discussion. And you know, um, what happened basically was that. When I reached the age of 22, I had been suffering from severe depression for three and a half years, and, and I had been hospitalized at psychiatric wards. I had a huge wish to die. I remember I was a very uh, difficult night. I was hospitalized, and it was one of the nights, and I mean, this was 20 years ago. So I just didn't know what it was, so I remember that I put my head. I was making salah, and I would put my head in sujood and then I said to him, I don't know what this is, I don't know why. Everything changed all of a sudden. I want to die and you know that I can't kill myself, so please just take my life. And then he didn't, he didn't, he didn't. 
I know that I, I knew that I, I was fearing that he wouldn't do that, that he would just make me suffer. So I told him, into the Jew, I said, you know what, if you want me to suffer for the next 50 years until I reach the age of 70 or something before you take my life and take my soul, well, okay, then I will bear it for you. I'll do this. But it was really hard. It was really, really hard. So can, can you just tell us, if you'd like, to describe to the audience how you were how it was like to be in your shoes during that period of time, how every day felt like, what you were experiencing in your heart, in your body, in your mind, what was going on? Nothing. Void, darkness, a complete lack of happiness and pleasure, a just staring into the wall for hours. It was during those years during those three and a half years that I lost the ability to cry. I remember at some point I was at my parents' place. I had just been hospitalized and, and they had released me. I was alone with my siblings and I just went into one of the rooms and I, then I just cried. I cried, I cried, I cried for hours. I was sobbing and I was unstoppable. I didn't cry for 20 years after that. Did, did you know that at that time why you were crying? I just wanted to die and um, yeah, so um, so what happened was that um, when I reached the age of 22 I um, I was called in to a, a very renowned psychiatrist and he took me, took me in and then he said, and I was 22 at the time and then he said, you know what Sinan I have been doing this for a lot of years and I like to believe that I am a very successful psychiatrist. And I want to tell you that I've never given up on a patient. I've always felt and known that regardless of how long it would take, I would be able to help anyone. But I have to tell you that we can't help you. I can't help you. Psychiatry can't help you. And I'm suggesting, he said, did you apply for early retirement? I was 22. And then he said, and if my name isn't in that application, I will guarantee you that the authorities will grant you early retirement. I'm almost suffocating now because that was the first time I felt suffocation, a complete devastation. I felt abandoned and left out and I was 22 years old and, and only three years before that I've was about to conquer the world and but then I dropped out of college. Darkness took over my life. I don't I didn't know why and 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 here I was sitting across a psychiatrist that was at the top of his game and and he just gave up on me. And his only solution was that I should get an early retirement. And I told him, you do realize that this is a death sentence, socially speaking. And he said, I'm sorry, but we can't help you. The best thing we can do for you is to give you some rest from all obligations. But I'm sorry to say that you will be suffering for the rest of your life. So I left psychiatry. I abandoned it. And I didn't return for... I don't know, 
eight or ten years, I just intensified my prayers, my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I had a friend from within the Muslim community, and I told him, I said, you know, please help me. Don't let me fall. Don't allow this to happen. The clouds never disappeared, but alhamdulillah, I did experience relief only a year after that. My profession, my, I mean, the school that I was studying at, the profession that I wanted to pursue was ruined for me. I couldn't return to that. So I chose a completely different field and applied for college again. It was actually funny thinking back because when I was about to, I mean, when I applied for admission to college again, um, the university who knew my track record, I mean, I had been admitted to this high-profile uh, education for so long, and then I dropped out. So they needed some security to admit me again to a completely different field. So I went to that psychiatrist a year after and said, I need, I need a paper from you saying that you believe that I can do this. And then he said, well, I don't believe that you can do it. And I said, well, you know, you said you... There's no way you can help me, and this is, and I'm not applying for early retirement, so please do this. So he wrote the letter, and I got admitted. Then I took one step at a time, and a year down the road, I met my wife, and we got married. But you were still at the time dealing with... It never left. Mm -hmm. It never left. And she knew from the very beginning that I had been suffering from depression, and that it was an occasion, I mean, a reoccurring thing. I, I don't think that she realized to begin with how grave it was. I would have good days and then I would have weeks of suffocation and devastation and the inability to step out of bed. And obviously I couldn't study, so that took a lot of years. And it caused so much pain for her as well, um, and I'm really sorry for that. When I reached the age of 30, I began realizing that this was in fact coming from SSA. But I still didn't know my ways, I didn't know what to do, and so I wrote an email to different scholars on international websites, and I asked them for help and guidance, but what could they do? But what, that was the first time I realised that, okay, this is, from SS, this is coming from SSA and I have to do something about it. I was so torn. I was so torn. I felt like a zombie and I was a living dead and, and I wrote that to them. I said, you know, I don't know what to do and please provide me some answers. Why is this, if this is wrong, if this is against the human nature, if this is against our fitness, why have I been given such a huge inclination that is so that feels so natural and, and that I can't do anything about. I can't make it disappear. The years between the age of 30 and 34 were really difficult. I stopped functioning completely as a human being. I had two children, two very small children, and I couldn't take care of them, I couldn't take care of my family. I, 
I couldn't I couldn't study, I couldn't keep a job. I started falling apart socially as well and I began isolating myself. And I remember that when I was 34, I, during Christmas break, I um, was visiting my in-laws with my family. But I really didn't want to go, even though I loved them. I really, really, really didn't want to go. And I told that to my wife. I said, I can't do this. I really can't. I mean, I can't. I can't do this. So she arranged for me that. And she really wanted to go. She needed to go. She was, she was worn out. I mean, she had two small children and a husband who had fallen apart. So she really needed to have someone to take care of her. And I acknowledged that. But I just couldn't. So, so she said, so how about if, if we give you your own apartment during our stay? And what happened was that my sister-in-law moved in with her mother and I took over her apartment, which was right next door. And when I reached that apartment, I fell apart completely, totally. It was complete devastation. I really wanted to die. I was making lots of du'as for that. And it's so excruciating because my little girl, whenever she would come, I couldn't even look at her. So she would come in because she was missing her daddy and and I just wanted to die. I slept for 20 hours a day during that stay. 20 hours. No exaggeration. 20 hours. I would wake up, eat something, go to bed and fall asleep again. So when we got back home, my wife insisted that I, that I should go see a psychiatrist. She said, I know your reservations. I know that you felt abandoned by them, but but it's been 12 years, Sinan. It's been 12 years, and, and I need help. You need to go see someone, please. So I went seeing a psychiatrist. She said, you know, and you know, my story was that I was suffering from severe depression, and she said, after hearing my account, that I don't know why my colleagues 12 years ago said that to you, but this is not depression. This is so grave. This is so thorough. This is so all-encompassing that... This is a psychosis. You have so many negative symptoms, meaning that you lack complete, you completely lack pleasure. So the depressive symptoms were very, very severe. Yes. That it was bordering on psychosis. Yes. So she transferred me to a specialized unit for that, a specialized unit, and, and then I received a very concentrated therapy for two years. They gave me a psychologist who, looking back, became my first step towards healing. A psychiatrist who transferred me to the unit said that, I don't think that you will graduate from college, so maybe you should just give it up. I couldn't. And my, my wife didn't want me to. She said, you know, I, I, I know that this is important to you. So she supported me. I wasn't even receiving social care anymore because, um, I mean, I was far beyond that. I had stopped functioning as a human being, so... So when I got to the specialised unit, my psychologist said that he... Well, we just had weekly sessions, and what he basically needed, or wanted to do was to... He said, you know, I don't care about... I don't care about recovery. I, I just want you to get through the day, every day. And I want you to give you the means for that. And I want to help you with that. I wanted to help you get out of bed, to spend time with your children because they need you, to spend time with your wife because she needs that. 
So that's just the aim, the goal. So we really lowered the bar for success. And we were having these sessions all the time. To begin with, uh, twice a week. And then a year down the road, I, um, I remember that something really crucial happened. I, I was in a session with him. And I don't remember the context, but I remember saying that I'm a psychotic. And he interrupted me immediately and he said, Sinan, you're, you're not a psychotic. You're a per- person with psychosis. And there's a huge difference. There's a world of difference between those two statements. When you say that I'm a psychotic, it's a part of your identity. But this disease is not a part of your identity. It's not a part of who you are. It's just a basic condition in your life. In the same way that if you were born into a poor family and you were suffering from famine, well, being poor would not be a part of your identity. It would just you would acknowledge that it was that that is a basic condition that you have to deal with. So I want you to stop saying, referring to yourself as a psychotic. It felt almost like a revelation. What he didn't know was that when he was talking, what I was hearing was, stop referring to yourself as a gay man. It's not a part of who you are. It's not a part of your identity. It's a basic condition in your life. And what you need to do is to learn how to deal with it. And I knew knew in that very moment that he would be the first person that I would come out to. But obviously it didn't happen immediately. It took a few weeks. I really had to, you know, put myself up to it. And then I told him, but I was still in denial. I said, you know, um, there's a parallel theme going on here that I haven't told anyone. And I want to emphasize that it has got nothing to do with my medical condition, with my psychosis, with my complete lack of enjoyment, my negative symptoms. But I just want you to know that there's something on the side. And I don't want us to talk about it. I just want you to know that there's something going on. Then I told him. I told him that I was attracted to men, that I've been that since the age of six. He actually accepted my premise to begin with. He said, okay, well, I mean, if you're saying that it's got nothing to do with your medical condition, then by all means, I accept that. I accept your perception of it. But is it, is, is it okay that we talk about it every once in a while? Mm-hmm. And I said, yes, of course. And the following year, that was actually the only thing that we talked about. <laughs> and it made a world of difference to finally be able to tell someone about this. And you were how old at that time? I was 34, almost 35. Mm-hmm. This was the first time ever that I came out to a person. How did it feel at that moment? It was a huge relief. Huge relief. You know, he was really decent. He actually, he was, he was obliged to, to, you know, write in my journal after every session. And because I didn't want it, to be a part of my journal. Mm-hmm. He and I made, made an agreement, and he actually, and this went against his professionalism, right? We agreed that whenever our session was done, he should always write a short note saying that we just discussed how to navigate uh, 
throughout the challenges of life, mm -hmm. daily life, um, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. In generic terms, he would just write that. And I actually saw my journal when I left the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, and it was all about that. But, you know, he didn't have an agenda with me. He said that. He said, you know, I respect your faith, I respect your values, I hear you and I accept it when you say that I don't want to act upon my same-sex attractions. Um, I think that it would be healthy for you to do so. He to said, act upon them. Yes, he said, I think that it would be healthy, but I also know and I also understand and accept when you're, t when you're telling me that that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So let's just find ways to navigate this for you. Mm -hmm. To find common grounds between you and him. Not common grounds, because he, were, he was actually always on my ground. Okay. So he just said, okay, tell me all about the limits, the limitations that comes from your faith. Mm -hmm. And let's try to examine what your options are. And obviously my options weren't that many, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, so we talked a lot, um, a lot about what I could do, but, you know, mostly it was just, I, I had the... Um, feeling of initial relief but from that point on he couldn't he wasn't able to take me any further he didn't have an agenda he didn't um, so with him it was all about navigating still uh, through life and challenges and my suffocation really um, didn't end but you felt a little improvement during that period with him Yes, and I actually graduated from college. Alhamdulillah. 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 During that period when you were visiting the psychologist regularly, what did you guys focus on that made you feel more relieved, um, that restored your, um, your personal balance, so to speak? How did you kind of overcome some of the challenges that you were dealing with at the time? Well, first and foremost, he he taught me that it was okay to be me, basically. I mean, he gave me the first acceptance. And I used to believe that I didn't need anyone's approval or anyone's acceptance. I used to believe that, you know, I rest in myself, within myself. And I have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I don't need anyone. I was hardened in that way. He taught me that as humans... We do need acceptance. We do need people in our lives who gives us understanding. Mm -hmm. And I told him at some point, you know, I said, the incredible thing about coming out to you is that I have hidden this away for so long. But the feeling of complete acceptance is indescribable. And mind you, people like me. Throughout all of these years, I would go to all kinds of mosques, all kinds of communities, Muslim communities. And wherever I came, people liked me. They even adored me. But I never felt accepted because I knew that, that if I were to tell them what I was dealing with, that despite the fact that I was so adored, I would be alienated, pushed out, ostracized, thrown out. I was afraid that if I told my wife, I would lose my family. I was afraid that if I told my parents, that despite being the source of their pride, I would still... I mean, they, 
everyone, I was convinced that everyone would throw me out like a piece of garbage. And coming up to the psychologist made me feel whole for the first time in my life. There was a room, there was a safe space here with him where I could be myself 100%. And you know, all of these years in dealing with my suffocation and uh, all the things that was characterized as severe depression, there was always this huge part in the equation missing, right? So it was, and now it was been, I mean, it was being taken into account. Now I could bring it about myself into our conversations. It was an integrated part of our sessions of, of the therapy because it, it's an integrated part of me and it was given its natural place in my life. And I was in daily contact with him and he made plans for me, for my daily life. And he would hold me accountable to them. He would make follow-ups on a daily basis by phone, by messages. That's wonderful. And then he would say, and I could call him, I mean, he really, really went beyond his professional obligations. I could call him 11 p.m. in the night. And he would pick up the phone, answer it, and talk to me. And he said, it's important that you feel that you have a support system so things don't grow on you. So instead of wondering the entire night, by all means, just call me. Let me know. Then if I have time, I will call you or I will pick up the phone and we will talk about it and then you'll go to bed. But, I mean... And he always picked up the phone. So I graduated from college. Alhamdulillah. With his help, with Allah's help, ultimately, obviously. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's what he gave me. A sense of complete acceptance. And a realization why acceptance is important. Accepting you as a human being. As a complete human being. Mm -hmm. As a complete human being. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to hide anything from him. We need that as human beings. I can see that. I mean, it's not that we don't have secrets as human beings, but we need, even with secrets, we need everything within us to be accepted. Mm -hmm. So we, we might not tell everything about ourselves to one specific person, but we need to be able to tell everything about ourselves to different persons at least. And to be vulnerable with people. Yes. Mm -hmm. But he couldn't help me uh, with, with the negative symptoms as he would characterize them. I mean, I, w I was more put together um, he could give me some instruments uh, to get through the day. Um, he could he could text me and he could follow up on agreements, making sure that I would make progress with each assignment or task that he would give me. Um, but emotionally, I was still just as devastated. What happened was that while talking to him, and because I had experienced what acceptance means to me, what it means to the, 
to the human soul, I started to look out for other people, look after other people who would accept me. You mean you were searching for other people? I was, I, yes, I was searching for other people. Mm-hmm. I didn't dare to search for Muslims. I didn't dare to do that. I wanted to do that, but I didn't dare to do it. Understandably. Yeah, but I didn't dare to do it. I didn't dare to come out to even my best friends. And it's not that I didn't trust them as persons. I did. And I trust, I mean, I entrusted them all kinds of other things. But the thing with same-sex attractions or homosexuality is that Muslims at large, in general, are very hostile Mm -hmm. toward people like us. Mm -hmm. And I would experience that. And that that would always be hurtful. I mean, if I were to walk down the streets with a friend and two men holding each other's hands would come across, well then it would never go by unnoticed. People would always air their disgust. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm living in a country that is not Muslim and people are always confronted, I mean, with things that go against Islam, Islamic, the Islamic way of life. Mm They see people drinking, they think they, they see people that are drunk, mm-hmm. vomiting on the streets. They see people, they have friends who are heterosexual but who have sexual relations, right? Outside and, marriage. Outside of marriage, mm-hmm. and they accept them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, and that was really obvious to me, the difference. I mean, I would always feel that, I mean, if you're not, disgu- if, if you don't have the need to air your disgust, because you're, I mean, when your friends who are not married kiss each other in public, then why on earth would you feel the need to air your disgust because two men are holding hands and you don't even know them? Well, some people would argue that it's just a matter of, you know, it goes against the human fatra, the inherent predisposition that we have, so it's a normal reaction to feel disgusted, you know? That's a very common answer to both. Yes. It might be so. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that it makes it a whole lot of... I mean, it really makes it difficult to come out to these people. Exactly. To be able to to, to trust them with your innermost secret. Exactly. And be vulnerable and intimate with them in a way that makes you have a heart-to-heart conversation. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was really in the need of meeting people who would give me understanding and acceptance. And what happened with that psychologist was that, I mean, I was still, I was still in suffocation, right? I was still feeling devastated and, and I was still torn. And I would tell him that. I would tell him that. I would say that I feel that I'm stuck in the middle of a crossroad. I mean, if you imagine a T I mean, T junction, okay? Um, I mean, a crossroad in the formation of a T. Right. Um, I... I keep telling him that I feel that I am standing right there in the middle of that T-junction. And on the right side, there's the road that leads to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, 
there's the road that leads to finding a man, one man. I'm not talking about prom promiscuity. I'm talking about finding true love with one man. Mm -hmm. One man that I can live with. And I'm torn between those two needs, two, two basic needs of mine. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I go down the road to the left. Mm -hmm. I take a few steps, tiny baby steps. But then my heart is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right. But my heart is also on the other side. Mm -hmm. And living in that T-junction for so many years, for so many decades, was in fact causing the devastation and the suffocation. You were torn between two opposing choices. Yes. Mm -hmm. And with him, I could see that clearly for the first time. Mm -hmm. So now I knew what the cause of my problem was. Mm -hmm. And, but I didn't have a solution. I didn't have the solution. I was torn between those two ways. You know, I, throughout the years, even when I was living in denial of, I mean, the repercussions of shoving my say under the carpet, mm -hmm. um, I would always make a dua. I, I would always say, whenever I was challenged with SSA and I was that on a daily basis, I would always, and whenever I saw a person that I was attracted to, mm -hmm. I would always automatically make a little dua. I would say, Ya Rab, Ya Rab, I beg you to protect me against the sharr of Qawm al mm -hmm. And whenever I was attracted to one specific person, I would in instantly make a dua saying, Ya Rab, please protect him against me and me against him. Mm -hmm. From any forbidden act. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, that was, I mean, I wouldn't say that, but I mean, it was obvious. Right? Right. It was part of the... Yeah. Um, so I would just say, please protect me against him and him against me. Um, and um, and I guess looking back when the after the initial relief to, um, that came after coming out to my psychologist um, didn't lead to the suffocation to end stop making those duas you stopped making the duas of protection mm -hmm. I stopped making duas of protection I I I stopped making it as a protection. I wanted it to happen. You were craving... Yes. A relationship with a man. Yes, and I began searching for answers because I needed I needed some scholar to say, well, you know, there's a way. Right. <laughs> right. And I remember at some point I googled gay Muslims. Mm -hmm. Those two words gay Muslims mm -hmm. um, and I came across a site one of the top search results was a site called at the time gaymuslims.org mm -hmm. and I clicked on it and basically it was a website that said it, it was about Muslims who were facing same-sex attractions but who didn't want to act upon them and there was a reference to a young group called The Straight Struggle, mm -hmm. where I met you, eventually. And I'm not going to introduce Straight Struggle, I know, I think, I think you've addressed it yes. in, in the earlier episodes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what basically happened was that I was at a really, really dark place again, 
far darker than I had ever experienced. And it was, um, yeah, really eating me up. Um, I was feeling suffocated and the devastation felt complete again. Um, and I stopped functioning. And I really, I was at a really bad place. I wrote my story to, uh, to the group and one of the older brothers responded to that. And then he, um, he was really kind and persistent, mashallah. Um, but because I wasn't, I mean, I was going down to parallel roads at the time. The reason I had Googled gay Muslims wasn't because I wanted to abstain from same-sex encounters. Or to find a solution. I wanted to find a solution, some way to justify these encounters, because I felt suffocated and devastated, and I needed someone to love, a man mm -hmm. that I could call my own. So I was on straight struggle, but at the same time, I, I really wanted to find this man that I could live a life with. Because I was really, really suffocating. And this brother wrote to me, and um, by the way, he's my angel. <laughs> so it was in 2017, in November. Mm -hmm. And he had written to me a few times earlier, and I didn't respond. I actually stopped um, checking my email. I mean, my mail's from Straight Struggle. And then in November, in late November 2017, I just logged on to it. And there were these mails from him saying, Samaikum, brother, I'm worried about you. What's going on? Please text me when you read this. And there were a few messages from him. And, and at the time, I was actually so badly off that I just wanted to find someone to be with. But, you know, I don't know why I wrote to him. I, um, I had lost all hope. Okay, I'd stopped making my du'as of protection a few years back, and I didn't and I didn't feel protected. And honestly, I was so devastated that I didn't care anymore. At the time, were you um, acting out in any way to relieve the pressure that you were feeling? I was in contact with a few men, but I didn't meet with them. Um, I didn't meet them. Um, I was about to. So I was. I went on this site where gay men hook up, mm -hmm. and I created an anonymous profile, um, and I wrote back and forth with them. And initially, it was a matter of acceptance. Also, initially, I I didn't want to hook up with them. Um, my profile text would be, "I'm a man who is facing same-sex attractions, but I don't want to act upon them." I didn't say that I was Muslim, but, you know, my tag line showed my ethnicity. So you could tell that I was Muslim mm -hmm. in that way. But I didn't, I, I, mean, I didn't want to make Islam an issue in that setting, obviously. So, right. uh, so I was just, um, um, so that, I mean, that was my mission, obviously. Uh, I just wanted uh, support. So I would write uh, that, well, you know, I, um, I am facing same-sex attractions and uh, and and I, and I don't want to act upon them and and um, and yeah. So I just I'm looking for friends, online friends, only online friends. And um, 
that I can, you know, write back and forth with. Right. Um, and I, I mean, people reply to that. Um, um, they replied because, you know, uh, the general reaction was that it was very eloquently written and uh, and they were, you know, um, uh, very touched by it, uh, by my way of delineating my, my devastation um, and they wanted to help. And But eventually, you know, um, the interaction, because, I mean, it was, I mean, the website, I mean, it's not... A psychological hotspot, so to so to speak, right? I mean, people are there for a reason. They <laughs> they try to hook up, right, mm-hmm. uh, and have uh, same sex encounters. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I would get um, I would gain gain some friends, but but um, also it was pushing me into that direction where it became more and more acceptable in my own mind that I can have an encounter with one of these men at some point. Mm-hmm. Because I had lost hope, right? I mean, it was... Um, I was losing hope, increasingly, and... Um, but alhamdulillah, it didn't happen. It didn't happen because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even though I had stopped making my du'as, He kept answering my du'as from those all of those years. He did protect me against acting out. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So while I was on that website riding with these men, he sent me my angel on straight street. And I remember when I saw these those messages that I talked about, he said, Assalamualaikum brother, I wrote about you. Um, please text me whenever you can. I texted him. But in that, at the time, I had decided that I was going to meet with one of those men, mm-hmm. those other men. Mm-hmm. And I felt that I had nothing to lose whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Nothing to lose. So I told this complete stranger who was living in a different part of the world everything. From the very beginning, I said, Wa alaikum salam, brother. Um, just so you know, I'm millimeters away, inches away from acting out upon this. And he said, please, don't lose contact with me. Stay online. Mm-hmm. Because he knew that you were in a very, very sensitive place. He knew I was at a very sensitive place and I was inches away from disaster, right. from the greatest mistake of my whole life. He mm-hmm. knew that I was inches away from catastrophe. And you were married and you had kids. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. He knew all about that. Mm-hmm. But mostly he was actually concerned about me and my religion, my faith. Right. So my angel and I um, texted for hours that night. Mm-hmm. He went out of his ways completely, left everything. He was so concerned that I would commit my, I mean, the worst mistake of my life. But I was still, you know, after that first correspondence, and we were just texting through Skype to each other. I was still convinced that it was going to happen. But obviously I postponed it. And then we had a brief conversation for the first time a few days after that. I think it was November 17. And I just asked him one question. I didn't have time, I had guests when he called. And I just said, you know, 
is there any way I can justify a same-sex encounter? I really need to be held by a man. I need to be held by a man. And then he said, well, you know, you can be held by a man, but there's no, no way you can justify a same-sex encounter. As so, in same-sex sexual intercourse. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So if it becomes sexual, mm -hmm. actually he didn't say intercourse. He said that the baseline is if you experience shahwa. Which is lust. Yes. Mm -hmm. Desire. So Desire. So he said, if you experience desire in that very moment, then it's haram. You can't do that. So when it becomes lustful, it's haram. It's haram. Mm -hmm. He said, that's the baseline. Mm -hmm. But you can't obviously be held by a man if you have that need. In a brotherly way, in a fatherly way, mm -hmm. in a friendly way. Platonically. Platonically. Yeah. But you cannot cross the line to lust, to shahwa. Right. So he put the ground straight. The lines were clear. Mm-hmm. He said, there's no justification for that mm -hmm. whatsoever. And I told him, well, I mean, I can only do this for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I, can, I can't do this. I can't abstain from, from same-sex encounters anymore for anyone or anything else but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm -hmm. And then he said, well, you know, this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asking it from, from you, that you're not supposed to do that and you're going to abstain from it visa for him and him only and then he said I feel relieved that you have that approach to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right because he's the center of yes. your existence you know? exactly mm -hmm. and he said I want you to hold on to that and what happened subhanallah after that was that he really took care of me he stepped in he talked to me every single day even though there was a, a time difference, he would talk to me for hours every day. And this is a man who is married, who has professional obligations. He's the head of a household. Right. And he's got professional obligations. And even though that he had that, he went out of his ways for hours every day. He would talk to me. He would make sure to put me to bed every single night. He would make sure that he would get a smile from me. He would give me a, night, a nightly prescription very early on, saying to me that I should make wudu mm -hmm. every night, take my masbaha in my hand, put my head on the pillow, hold on to my masbaha, and just say Allah's name until I would fall asleep. Mm -hmm. He would do that every night. Mm -hmm. After we have talked about all kinds of things. So that you would you would sleep with the remembrance of Allah on your tongue. Yes, that was, he called it the, my nightly prescription. That's beautiful. Yes, we're still in contact. I mean, he's obviously one of the most important persons in my life. Of course. Um, and whenever I'm dealing with any kind of stress, not necessarily as I say related, he always says, okay, so, okay, we should take your nightly prescription again. You should do that again. Right. So he always reminds me of that. Um, God bless him, subhanAllah. I, mean, I love him so much. Um, let's take a moment to pray for him. May Allah bless him. Jazakallah khairan. May Allah bless him. Protect him and preserve him, inshallah. Amen. And grant him whatever is beautiful, amazing, wonderful, loving, caring, kind, sweet, heart, and so wishes, inshallah. Amen. 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 He's my guardian angel.
And what he also would do was that, despite the time difference, he would make sure that I would wake up to either a, a recording, an audio recording, or a huge amount of loving and caring messages. So basically, he would put me to bed, and he would make sure that I would that he would wake me up, so to speak, mm-hmm. that I would wake up to his love. And then he would say, he would say, please let me know how you're doing throughout the day. I will check my uh, my phone the second I wake up, and 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 I would be relieved if you tell me how your day is going, so I can you know make duas for you. Um, so he really, really gave me that connection to someone. I mean, I, as I said, I mean, personal acceptance is important, right? And this complete, this perfect stranger <laughs> was giving me just that, and he was a fellow Muslim. Subhanallah, you were looking for someone to embrace you and then you found Allah sent you the perfect person to embrace you. You wanted someone to to hug you, so to speak. But he did that virtually. He stepped out of his way to make sure you're doing all right, to make sure that you are still connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to make sure that you are emotionally stable. He invested in that. You were looking for exactly that. And even though it wasn't face-to-face, you weren't in the same country or time zone, but subhanAllah, that worked out so beautifully. It did. It did. This is also part of the reason that I'm doing this episode Mm -hmm. with you, Wahid. It's because I want that to be my message to the Muslim community at large. Please reach out to people and accept them. What my guardian angel did was something that I didn't believe anyone, any Muslim would ever give me. I was being shown and given unconditional love, unconditional acceptance, understanding, compassion, care, kindness from a fellow Muslim without the slightest condemnation. Mm -hmm. And because I felt that I had nothing to lose to begin with, Full transparency became the foundation of our relationship, mm-hmm. so I could tell him anything, and I did that. Mm-hmm. And he approached me with respect and with curiosity. Mm-hmm. He is a very investigating soul, so he asked a lot of questions. He really needed, wanted to understand what my, what the nature of my struggle was. Mm-hmm. And I told him everything. I told him things that I'm not even going to address in this episode. Mm -hmm. And never did he meet me with condemnation. Because he knew that, looking back, he knew that he had picked up a person whose nafs was erased completely. I didn't have an ego. I was was in devastation. And I told him that. I I couldn't breathe. I'm completely broken. I was broken. Mm-hmm. So instead of meeting me with disgust and condemnation, he met me with respect and acceptance and love. And that made the whole difference. SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. And I needed that, right? I needed that. I didn't think, I didn't believe that I could have that from a Muslim, from a fellow Muslim. And here he was, being so loving and caring and kind and sweet. It was phenomenal. Alhamdulillah. 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 And I'm smiling now. I want the audience to know that. 
the listeners. Yeah, subhanAllah, like during the first um, part of the episode when you were talking about your past and that very painful period was very triggering for you. Yeah. And I'm sure that the audience felt that. But now, alhamdulillah, there's a huge shift and you're very peaceful. Your whole voice and face, subhanAllah, they lit up and it just goes to show how, how deep all of these experiences are, subhanAllah. Yeah. Subhanallah. So basically, that's the personal thing. I mean, that's the personal um, part of my relationship with him, what I gained from that, what he meant to me. But emotionally, he also became my father figure. Mm -hmm. So one of the things... One of the first things he said when I said I, I need to be held by a man, he said, and that really, I remember, I was so touched when he said that. He said, had I been there with you now, I would have held you very tight. And I was just so moved by that. Because he was a man that knew that I was facing same-sex attractions, right? And not only wasn't he disgusted by me, he actually wanted to hold me. Mm -hmm. Because he knew that that was a basic need in me. Mm -hmm. That was huge. It goes beyond human expression. SubhanAllah. <laughs> what that mean, meant to me. That was really phenomenal. It really was. But also what he was doing was to giving me the possibility to, to verbalize everything. Mm -hmm my desires, my longings, my cravings, um, the source of my suffocation, mm -hmm. what I felt, um, how I felt. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, he never, and he was so full of hope. He was so full of hope. And it was quite interesting because afterwards, I mean, after I've, I became well, he told me that he actually didn't know his ways. He was so, I mean, he he was so afraid that he would say something that would, you know... Um, trigger you. Trigger me or, uh, yes, I mean, uh, or break me. Or, uh, because, I mean, he... And, and he didn't know what, I mean, how to deal with this. But my perception of him was that he knew exactly what he was doing. SubhanAllah. So my perception was that he knew exactly what he was doing. And he was... He he felt inadequate. He felt, oh, what am I going to say to this guy? And 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 how am I going to deal with this? These layers of darkness and mm. suffocation and devastation and 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 wow. And just to be clear, he's not a therapist. Or he's a not therapist. a therapist. No, mm -hmm. but my perception of him was that this guy knows exactly what it, what it is that he's doing. Mm -hmm. Not only was he my guiding angel, but Allah Subhanahu wa Taala was was guiding him and directing him, subhanAllah, to help me. Um, SubhanAllah, Allah answered your da'a. Even, you know, it, it, it took a long time for the da'a to be answered, but yes. it came at the, the, the proper moment. Exactly. Even if to, after you said you had left or you had stopped making da'as, they just were answered at the perfect moment. I'm actually glad that you're mentioning that, Wahid, because my looking back... And this is also very emotional to me. Looking back, um, I mean, 
there's this principle in Islam, in our faith, saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never give you a burden, put a burden on your shoulders that you, can't, that you are not able to bear. Mm-hmm. And the help came just as the burden that he had given me became unbearable. So up until that point, I was on my own because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guaranteed us that he will never give us a burden that we are not able, capable of bearing, lifting. But just as the burden itself became unbearable to me, that's when this brother appeared in my life. And I I would like to say accidentally, but nothing is accidental. Checked my email and saw messages from him, worried messages saying, Salam brother, I'm worried. Please text me. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept the promise that he gives every human being in his holy book that he will never send us a burden that we are, that we can't bear. And I love my Lord so much when I think of that because my guardian angel came as he has promised. He subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised. So, um, so you, you said that you developed a relationship uh, with him. You looked at him as your father figure, as a sort of... A... I didn't look at him as my father figure. I actually looked at him as my older brother. Okay. Um, but he became my father figure in that moment when he said, had I been there with you, I would have helped you. Mm-hmm. Because that was something that I had been missing. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And mind you, I was, up until that point, up until I met him, mm-hmm. I really didn't care where my SSA came from. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't care if it was biological, if it was, if it, if it, came from my upbringing, mm-hmm. uh, if it was a combination of different factors, I really didn't care. I couldn't care less. It's just that you had them. I had SSA mm-hmm. and that was it. Mm-hmm. That was that was my basic condition in life. Mm-hmm. That was the thing that I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really happened when he said that was that I realized, and you know, I had to, my SSA was too stringed. Okay. I needed to be held by an older man mm-hmm. and I would objectify older men. For that reason. Right. Okay. As in sexualized. Yes. Mm-hmm. I would sexualize all the men mm-hmm. for that reason. Mm-hmm. And I was sexualized. I mean, up until that point, when I met my guardian angel online, I was so badly off that I sexualized every single man that I would meet on the street. Mm-hmm. It, it was really, it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it had taken control of my life fully and completely. And, and, there was a lot of guilt mm-hmm. combined with that because mm-hmm. I mean I'm not supposed to sexualize object. I'm not su- supposed to objectify men. Right. Um, uh, so I mean, being connected to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala on the one hand and objectifying practically every single man that I met on the street uh, was not <laughs> compatible, right? Uh, so um, yeah. So, but he he became my father figure when he said that. When he said, "Had I been there with you, I would have held you." And then I realized that, yeah, I do have issues with my father, with my own father. And I'm not saying that I must say that my SSA is coming from that completely, but I'm just, I started realizing that that could be one of the factors. So what happened was that he uh, gave me that emotional fulfillment that I was lacking, that I wasn't aware of, I mean, before. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And on this, I mean, at the same time, we were talking about, you know, uh, um, all of these, I mean, me being in this T-Junk scene that I told you about, mm. I mean, being torn between Allah wa ta'ala on the right side and my on the left side. Right. Um, and, and what happened uh, 10 days or something down the road after our first contact, I told him, you know, I, uh, I know that I have to give this up. My mind tells me that I have to give this up for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But I, my feelings are, are, are holding me back. And I, I don't know what to do with my feelings. I, I, I mean, I can't just... I'm, I'm afraid that the suffocation will never end. And what he basically told me as a response to that was that your mind has accepted that you have to give up on this, but your heart is still coveting it. Mm-hmm. And we need to make to us that you can give up on that. But existentially, you have you you have accepted now that existentially you have to make a choice. Right. And you've known that for a long time. Mm-hmm. That you have to make a choice mm-hmm. between the two. The source of your suffocation is that you haven't made a choice. And you know that you have to choose Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But your heart is not ready. Mm-hmm. And we will make to us that that will happen. And he said, you know, because I told him that my psychologist didn't have an agenda. And he said, from the very beginning, I do have, he said, I have a disclaimer. I do have an agenda. My agenda is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. He said, I do have an agenda. Mm-hmm. I have to be completely honest with you. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. So we will make to us for that. And then he said, I... We are making du'as. Maybe this won't go away completely. The attraction. The attraction mm-hmm. or the suffocation, but it will become manageable, inshallah. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want it to be be manageable. That was a dream. I mean, that would be a dream come true. I mean, just to be, put to be manageable. The suffocation, I'm not talking about the same attractions, actually. I'm talking about the suffocation and the sense of devastation, complete mm-hmm. mental devastation that I was facing. I just want it to be manageable. So what he said was that, basically, we want this, we want this to 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 become manageable for you. And um, and he actually said maybe a few years down the road, it will become so, mm-hmm. and you will feel some relief. Inshallah. What happened was that on the night of the twenty-eighth of December 2017, 40 days after we first got in contact with each other, mm-hmm. something dramatic happened. So we were texting about, I said, you know, I don't see my, I know that, that, that as I say, is, I mean, same-sex encounters are condemned in Islam, but I don't see my SSA as something wrong. The attractions, probably. The attractions. Mm-hmm. I see it as a gift. I appreciate men. Mm-hmm. But what I have come, what I am about to come to terms with is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me this in order for me to give it back to Him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing now that this was the purpose of giving me SSA to begin with. Mm-hmm. 
it gave me something that was within my reach. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he told me, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to do it for me. Mm-hmm. So he basically wants me to give it back to him. Mm-hmm. To let go of that for his sake. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he's asking me to give my SSA back to him. Mm-hmm. To make that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And sacrifices hurt. Otherwise they're not sacrifices. That's true. So, and all of a sudden I had my heart opened up. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was texting, I mean, during these previous 40 days, mm. I would never let go of him, I mean, my guardian angel. So I wouldn't be the one who would end a conversation or a correspondence, I mean, uh, a chat, so to speak, on Skype. Uh, uh, he would always I mean, make sure that I was at a good place, and then he would, you know, end the conversation and say, so, okay, so now, brother, if you're okay, I, I will, you know end this now and for the first time because I had that realization and my heart opened up I told him I said I said I have to go now I have to go now because I can feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is calling upon me and I have to meet him I have to tell him this institute that I'm giving it up for him Mm -hmm. and he said by all means go 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 don't apologize just go and I did that and what I experienced was calmness, peace and clarity. But mostly calmness. I remember the calmness. Mm-hmm. I was so calm. And that's my miracle. That's when I... And I felt immediately that the suffocation, the devastation, the pain would never come back again. It was gone. So what what happened exactly that night? You spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I said, I said, Ya Rab, you have given me this natural inclination and this is a test from you. Obviously, I've always known that. Mm-hmm. But I am surrendering myself to you. Mm-hmm. I'm giving myself up for your sake completely. Mm-hmm. And I'm giving this back to you because you want that from me. You gave it to me in order for me to sacrifice it to you. Just like you gave Ismail to Sayyidina Ibrahim in order, and then you said, you have to sacrifice him for my sake, your own son. And that's an excruciating thing, right? To sacrifice your own flesh and blood. So, I'm sacrificing this to you. Mm-hmm. And I can see why you gave it to me. I can see now the meaning of you putting this burden on my shoulders. And I'm giving it back to you. Subhanallah. I'm giving it back to you. And I'm not taking it back. Again, it's yours. From that moment on, mm-hmm. I began feeling a slight physical... I, I, I won't call it pain, but it was, you know... I could feel Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in my chest. And I had that feeling for months after that. For months, and still until this day, I mean, I don't have it constantly now, but I mean, in those initial months, I had it all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I woke up and it was the first thing I could feel. It was 
that little. Until this day, whenever I want to reconnect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I just think of him and that happens. I can feel him. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So that's the miracle, as I like to refer to it. And I said that it's not going, I mean, it's not coming back. And obviously my, my guardian angel, because he knew how devastated I was, he had a hard time believing it to begin with. But initially he accepted it also when he realized that, okay, this is real. This really is a miracle. It's not coming back. And being that incredibly intelligent person he is, an analytical mind, amazingly analytical mind that he also is, he said, well, you know, you've burst a bubble. It's like when a kid doesn't believe, stops believing in Santa Claus. Right. Well, you can never believe in Santa Claus ever again. Right. When he finds out the truth. Yes. Mm. And you found out the truth. Mm-hmm. The mask has fallen. Right. You've killed the beast. Mm. And so the period after that, how did things change in you? How, how did you feel that things were evolving and improving in your life? Well, with complete submission, he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, gives you peace. Mm-hmm as my guardian angel likes to call it, aslam taslam, this peace and surrender. So I was calm. I didn't feel suffocation. It, it disappeared overnight, overnight. And I deleted all profiles that I had on different websites. And I just made a lot of prayers of gratitude. And I felt connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. And as my guardian angel always said, and he he actually said this to begin with, I mean, even before the miracle, he said, our criteria for success is not that for for your same-sex attractions to go away, it's it's for you to, I mean, for your heart to surrender completely to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to accept that. Mm -hmm. And that is what happened ultimately. Mm -hmm. For you to feel at peace... And to feel comfort in your own skin, and to finally... To accept my faith, basically. Right. For my heart to accept my faith. Mm -hmm. One thing is, I mean, because this is, I mean, you can stop any child coming out from a masjid, and he would tell you this, right? It's all about, Islam is all about subnitting yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so you should give everything up uh, for him, and one thing is to say that. One thing is for our minds to, to accept that. Mm-hmm. Another thing is for our hearts to do mm. the very same. Mm. And this was the core of my struggle, and I didn't see that until my guardian angel came into my life mm. and took all of the pieces that were thrown into the ground and were full of filth, and he just took every piece up, dusted it off, cleansed it, and put it into its right place. Mm-hmm. And at the end, everything was in its right place, and it was all clean and perfect. And that's when my heart decided to open up and surrender. But it was only because I was given the emotional support, the personal acceptance to make that existential choice between right and wrong. You know, there's a, there's a concept in 
reparative therapy, which addresses um, same-sex attractions, and therapists would tell you that there is a need to have a salient man in the life of the individual struggling with this. And by salient, they say that the, that the man should be benevolent and loving and warm, but at the same time firm and strong. Um, so you felt that this guardian angel person that you described portrays these characteristics. I would say so, most definitely. Mm-hmm. I also have to say about uh, reparative therapy that I was introduced to the concept the first time uh, when I uh, joined the straight struggle. Mm-hmm. And my initial response was that I was completely dismissive of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel that it resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Didn't you've, see... You've never personally had any such... Um, like, You've never went to a specific therapist, uh, therapist and asked for that? Culture. No, no, mm-hmm. no. And I also n- knew deep down in my heart that, that it... W- I felt deep down in my heart anyway, let me put it that way, that it wasn't something for me. Okay. I didn't see that, that I... That the reason I was attracted to older men was because I was actually having issues with my own father coming from a, from my childhood. Um, looking back now, I can see that my guardian angel did become my father figure. Mm-hmm. I also like to call him my father by choice <laughs> or by faith. Fate, sorry. Um, and... Um, I mean, I would say that, yes, I mean, what you said is correct to some extent, um, but I don't know that much about reparative therapy, I have to be honest uh, with you when it comes to that. But yes, yes, I mean, it does um, resonate with me now, and I would like to say to people who may have the same reservations as I had to reparative therapy, that... Because I was, actually, I was actually offended when I first heard of it. I said, well, you know, this is so unscientific and and you don't need to have a bad childhood to have developed SSA and uh, maybe there's no reason for you SSA. And what is important is not reasons, it's that you have it, period. I mean, regardless of... So I, I didn't accept that it could have an impact on the healing Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. because I didn't care about the causes. Mm-hmm. I I could see the effects of it, and that was complete devastation, complete suffocation, uh, huge, 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 incomprehensible pain that took over my life. That was the effects mm-hmm. of it, and mm-hmm. I was focusing on that. I didn't care a thing about the causes. I can see today with my guardian angel and what he did to me, for me, with me, that emotional support from a man, an older man, was absolutely crucial in my case to be able to open up for the healing process, to open up to the existential realizations that I needed and for the choices that I needed to make. Had he not given me that, I wouldn't have been able to make that final choice. So by, by giving me that emotional support, he unarmed some of the dangerous parts, right? He gave me the grounds to feel safe, 
to make that choice. I was being held by my father figure. He was giving me love and acceptance. He didn't condemn me. He just gave me guidance and understanding and compassion. So it was safe for me to make that choice. It was safe for my heart, for my heart to open up. That's basically what happened ultimately. Alhamdulillah. So, um, just as a clarification, so when it comes to, so you are talking about, you know, the these uh, the way that you personally perceive the concepts of reparative therapy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and from episode seven until twelve, inshallah, we are going to address this in detail and to clarify a lot of the misconceptions and to see that a lot of what you have personally uh, experienced with your guardian angel actually are fundamental principles in uh, you know in the path of growth and healing to individuals who have same sex attractions. Um, the need to have an individual, a man, who is benevolent and, and loving and caring and at the same time firm and strong to, to address these issues. As you said, you know, to, to, to un- disarm you, to unravel and to allow you to be transparent and, and, and open and to address a lot of the pains that you are going through and a lot of the traumas that you have. And a lot of us don't realize this, and inshallah we will get into more details in the future, but um, childhood does play a role. I'm not saying that every individual case, but in a large proportion of people who have same-sex attractions, childhood experiences do play a big role. Uh, Traumas that we endure as children, we may realize this consciously, or they may be embedded in our subconscious. But... um, you know, proper therapy does help address these, uh, allow them to surface and to address them in a way that people can heal. So my question to you is, um, looking back at your childhood, do you identify specific patterns or have you, you know, after this process of growth and healing that you have experienced in the past two years, alhamdulillah, do you feel that some experiences in your childhood have left a a long-lasting impact on you personally. Um, traumatizing events may be events of abuse, uh, your relationship with your father, your relationship with the mother, your relationship with your peers, the way that you perceived your own body, etc. What can you share with us when it comes to that? Wow. Um, <laughs> I know it's a huge question. That was a huge question. <laughs> It was, actually, it was multiple questions. Right. Um, okay, so, um, you know, there's a phrase uh, where I come, come from saying that it's never too late to have a bad childhood. Okay, interesting. Okay. Um, and um, I used to think of my childhood as neutral, okay? It wasn't a happy childhood. I didn't feel that it was a bad childhood. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. It was neutral. Mm-hmm. Um after my guardian angel and all of this healing that I've been going through for the past two years, mm-hmm. and I just want to clarify that the miracle happened two years ago. Right. I've been looking at my childhood with... A different lens. Yes, a different lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was... I can see now that it was a horrible childhood. It's a problem. Um, I didn't feel earlier on that the fact that 
I was living in a household where we, where me, myself and my siblings were physically abused. Uh, we were beaten up. Um, was a problem, I mean, for me later on. Um, but we were actually living in an environment of constant terror and fear. We would always fear that, I mean, the time where our father would come home from work. Mm. Um, there was a lot of humiliation also. He tend, I mean, looking back, uh, it was as if he he would find pleasure in 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 beating us in public. I mean, and I mean, one thing is to be beaten up, and to be disciplined in that way. Um, another thing is to, I mean, for it to be happening in in public, right? I mean, so so um, there's, I mean, on top of the hurt, the physical pain, you also be being humiliated. Um, and that obviously does something to you. Exactly. Um, so that's, and I've realized that, and I've actually, and my guardian angel has, has actually helped me uh, confront my parents with that, mm-hmm. with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's still helping me mm-hmm. doing that, and he's supporting me in doing that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he too knows and believes that. Also, when it comes to this, we have to stand by our Islamic principles. Mm-hmm. So you can't disrespect your parents. But it's perfectly understandable and justifiable to confront your parents with their wrongdoings mm-hmm. in a respectful manner, obviously. Right. Um, so he's helping me doing that. Mm. And that's also part of my healing process. Right. And, you know, obviously I didn't have a loving relationship with my own father. Mm. On the contrary, I was very detached from him. Mm-hmm. I still am, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, because I mean, when you are being brought up like that, mm. it's difficult to right. to to have that connection later on. Right. Um, so I'm very detached from him. But you know, we have an have a decent relationship. Alhamdulillah, it's very civilized. Um, so things have improved a little. Things bit. have improved. Mm. Alhamdulillah. 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 And. Uh, and he has accepted that he was at a very bad place and, and that he didn't, I mean, he wasn't present in our lives mm. the way that he should have been. Um, he didn't give us the love and care that we were in need of being his children. Mm-hmm. So basically, my guardian angel has helped me restore my relationship with my father also. Mashallah. God bless him, subhanAllah. I love him so much, subhanAllah. Yeah, so basically, that's the thing with my father. And um, so, did I experience other childhood traumas? Uh, well, it didn't feel like childhood traumas at the time. Um, but when I, when I was very young, actually, when I was six, um, I had a what you would call a same-sex in- encounter with my uncle, who was three years older than me. Okay, so he was still a kid himself. He was still a kid himself, and that repeated itself a few years later on when we were older. When I was twelve and he was fifteen, um, I don't remember it as 
traumatic. Mm-hmm. But obviously, no child at the age of six should have sexual relations with anyone. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, so, it has undeniably had an impact. Mm-hmm. I don't know which impact or how or to what degree, mm-hmm. but it has undeniably mm-hmm. had an impact on my life. Right. And obviously it wasn't initiated by me. I was six and he was the older one, right? So he mm-hmm. was nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on you were teenagers. Yes, and mm-hmm. later on we were teenagers and it was still not initiated by me. Mm-hmm. still initiated by him. Uh, so... Um, but there was an element of early sexualization. Very early sexualization that shouldn't have happened to anyone. Right. I mean, to, mm-hmm. to any child. Exactly. So that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, that was it. Okay, so going back now to the present um, mm-hmm. and how things have evolved, alhamdulillah, in a very positive way for you. Alhamdulillah. Um, how do you describe your present life at the moment? Uh, how you feel personally, um, the level of peace that you have, your relationship with your kids, your wife, you know, all of that. I'm at a much better place. I'm at a place that I w- never imagined that I would come to. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, shukrullah. I am so relieved and I'm so grateful. Mm-hmm. And I'm full of hope, I have to say that. Obviously, I am still challenge with SSA. Of course. It's a basic condition in my life. I have, I have accepted it as such. Mm-hmm. I am not a gay person. Mm-hmm. I am a Muslim man. Mm-hmm. I'm a father. Mm-hmm. I'm a husband. I'm a soulmate. I'm a friend. I'm a son. I'm a brother in faith. Facing SSA. Beautiful, it's not part of who I am. Mm-hmm. It never was. Mm-hmm. I never accepted as such. Mm-hmm. But I'm not in denial of the potential repercussions of my SSA. Mm-hmm. I've embraced them. I've embraced myself. I've accepted myself. I've gained acceptance from not only my guardian angel, but now several brothers that I've met. And you, obviously, Wahid. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm honored. The honor is completely on my side. So I'm, I have all the acceptance that I was longing for from my fellow Muslims. Mm-hmm. I feel accepted by Muslims, by people from my own faith. And that has made all the difference. Alhamdulillah. You feel supported. I feel supported. And whenever I feel challenged, with my say I have a support system, I have people to turn to. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Mm. And it's not existential anymore. It's not it's not this huge question of what to do, what to choose. Mm. No, I have chosen and 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 I have given it up mm. to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything, Alhamdulillah, mm. I have given it back to him. I've I have i said you've you gave me that blessing that I that's how I perceive my say It's a blessing, but you at the same time you wanted it back. So I gave it to you. And now I'm just facing, you know, challenges. I've made peace with my fate. So whenever I do feel challenged, I have a support system to turn to, and then we can take it from there. Right. And it's 
manageable, it's doable, and it's alhamdulillah. So, just as a clarification, you mentioned a few minutes ago um, something about the beast and slaying the beast and the mask having fallen. Um, so, what mask are you basically talking about? And what do you mean when you say that the mask had finally fallen from the beast? What I mean by the mask having fallen is that uh, with my guardian angel throughout those 40 days uh, where we were talking uh, to each other, in addition to him supporting me, we actually did a lot of work, a lot of, uh, you might call it conceptual work, a lot of uh, dissecting and unpacking mm -hmm. uh, this huge monster that I was dealing with. Right. And he kept telling me, you know, Sinan, um, this thing that is sitting on top of you and have been uh, has been uh, suffocating you for years, it's not just one undifferentiated thing. Mm -hmm. There are, in fact, a number of things going on here underneath the surface. And um, and then he said, I believe that uh, there are layers that we need to unpack and we need to separate out all of the strands and deal with them one by one. Right. Um, I mean, instead of using muscle power, uh, we need to just uh, dissect it into pieces, divide and conquer, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, um, because otherwise you will not be able to end the suffocation. You have been using all of this muscle power all of these years, mm -hmm. but we need to uh, dissect it into pieces, and that's what we ultimately did. Mm -hmm. So what happened was that in conversation after conversation over those 40 days, we uh, would pick up this thing called same-sex attraction or homosexuality even, that had been suffocating you for years. And, of course, in my perception at the time, a huge part of it was sexual, but my guardian angel kept telling me that there was at least a huge um, emotional part as well, mm -hmm. and that he wasn't interested in talking about my SSA because he sensed that it was just a, um, what you might call, a surface manifestation of deeper lying issues. Right. So there was the, there was the sexual part, but there was also a very important emotional part. Of course. So what happened basically was that me realizing that a lot, that a lot of this had to do with unmet emotional needs mm. from my childhood and mm -hmm. other family issues, as mm. I mentioned before, mm -hmm. and that I finally had a feeling of being met by my guardian angel. Well, that actually released a lot of tension. Right. So we would work on that. We would work on both the sexual part, but he kept saying, well, you know, it's not the most important part. There are other significant parts. There's this emotional part. And then there was also, of course, the spiritual component to the whole thing um, that he was very interested in. Mm -hmm. So, and by, and, and by the spiritual component or the spiritual part, I mean the fact that my heart was actually torn between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm and craving this thing that um, right. was not legitimate for me to have, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this T-junction that I've been uh, 
telling you about that my heart was torn between um, between those two emotional spiritual needs um, and that I was that I was stuck in that chi junction and I couldn't choose mm. and what happened in relation to that uh, was that uh, my guardian angel kept telling me that the heart can crave anything uh, right so uh, some people would crave money some people would crave power and some people would crave what I was craving uh, and he kept telling me that and then he said that for each and every person the moment comes where he has to decide deep down in his, inside deep down in his heart mm. between what he covets in his heart mm-hmm. what he's craving and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from him right yeah so it was a very existential yet spiritual uh, component mm-hmm. that I had to deal with and obviously I knew that from the very beginning um, that I had to make a choice mm-hmm. but in order for me to make a choice between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm-hmm. and what my heart was coveting I needed to be embraced emotionally mm-hmm. and he gave me that my guardian angel mm-hmm. but also he was dissecting everything this huge monster into pieces and thereby made it easier for me to to actually take the step. So, realizing basically that uh, there were several things going on here at once, several layers that had come together to form a huge knot that had been choking me for years and that mm. I couldn't figure out how to untie, mm-hmm. that was basically the issue and that was what we were working on and that was why my guardian angel kept saying that I needed to divide and conquer things and he kept saying, you know, uh, we know that Allah did not create men to be with other men otherwise he wouldn't have forbidden it, right? Mm -hmm. So that much is obvious, it's clear. Mm -hmm. So there has to be something else going on here and we just need to keep digging and trying to figure out what it is Mm -hmm. and that's precisely what we did, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, So we kept digging and digging until the mask fell. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean that the monster was exposed and that this bob, this huge knot that had been weighing down on me for years had finally been dismantled. Mm. So with my garden angel, we had, um, how do I say this? shone um, flashlight onto the individual parts mm-hmm. right, that made it up and therefore demystified my problem right. that's what we did we demystified it and once something has be- been demystified you really can't remystify it again right mm-hmm. you can't go back yeah. once you've seen that it's false mm-hmm. you can't go back you, you can't go back on that realization and that's why is it? It's like a child who, you know, one day discovers that Santa Claus isn't real. Right. So once he realizes that, he can never believe in him again, mm-hmm. because Santa will be gone forever. Right. So basically, it was this dismantling which we had done so much work on that laid the ground for the miracle to occur, and which in uh, combination with that last excruciating step of truly giving everything up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completely and utterly let 
virtually overnight to a miraculous lifting of the cloud and a dissipation of that horrible, horrible darkness, subhanAllah, that had been weighing down on me for so long that mm-hmm. that um, decades-long suffocation um, and devastation, it was gone all of a sudden, alhamdulillah, and it was gone for the first time, I mean, for the first time ever. Uh, it was completely gone and it actually never came back and it hasn't come back, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. And actually, I felt on the day after the miracle and for many weeks after that, completely filled up with the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in both my heart but also in, in my whole being. Mm. Alhamdulillah. 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 I was basking in his warmth, his love and the serenity. That's beautiful. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. The most important part of the miracle was obviously the calmness mm-hmm. and the peace and the tranquility that followed and became it became an integral part of my life right, right. after the miracle. Alhamdulillah. Mm-hmm. The suffocation ended and so did the feeling of being trapped in a state of complete devastation, subhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. So that's what comes to my mind when I think about the time right after this miracle. Mm-hmm. But I also did experience uh, other uh, very dramatic and very immediate changes, um, changes that were, were apparent to me mm-hmm. the very next day, actually, after the miracle. Um, I no longer objectified or sexualized men. I actually stopped doing that right after the miracle. Mm-hmm. It simply stopped, stopped overnight, subhanAllah. And uh, the days and weeks and months and even years that followed has uh, consolidated the feeling of peace and tranquility that I was feeling mm-hmm. um, right after the miracle. Uh, because I, I began... Increasingly, I began uh, resting in my own skin when I was around men, other men. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very significant change. Of course. Um, and it still is. And mind you, uh, before the miracle, I had begun isolating myself from other men, particularly Muslim men, I, as I felt ashamed um, that I would objectify them constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, when I, if I were to accidentally touch a man with my arm, mm. my whole body would uh, get get electrified before the miracle, mm-hmm. and obviously that would lead to a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. So mm. I would isolate myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, consequently, after the miracle, that changed completely, and it did so all at once. Uh, alhamdulillah. Mm-hmm. And I really felt finally that I was set free. So what happened was that I resumed my previous meetings with the brothers from my Muslim community. Mm-hmm. And I particularly remember an incident a few weeks after the miracle where I attended a weekly dhikr gathering that I had abandoned due to my previous and um, very uh, massive uh, challenges coming from my SSA. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, it was really, really 
liberating to attend a gathering and to see and experience that I could actually spend time with my Muslim brothers and friends without objectifying them. Mm-hmm. It was really, really nice. And I remember that I called my guardian angel right after I left the gathering. And I was, subhanAllah, I was ecstatic. Um, and he was very amazed and very grateful, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, that's great. And we just celebrated, alhamdulillah, by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, similar experiences also um, happened uh, in the following months. And um, yeah, I had just, ex- I mean, I just stopped objectifying men um, just because they were men altogether. Mm. So, um, no matter where I went, um, say to the beach or the Jummah prayers or family gatherings, I was just a man among other men. Mm-hmm. That was the conclusion when I, you know, kept reporting to my guardian angel. He at some point said, "Well, you know, you know, Sinan, you have reached a point where you have become a man among other men. It is as simple as that." Beautiful. And that, subhanAllah, was a huge gift. It was, it was, and it still is extremely liberating. Alhamdulillah, shukur I, Alhamdulillah. And I praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillah, shukur. Alhamdulillah. That's amazing, mashallah. For all of the changes for that. Yeah. Incredible miracle. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Obviously, um, I am still challenged by my SSA from time to time, and I most likely will be for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's the basic condition in my life, right? And I am working on those challenges with the help of my brothers who know about me, in particular my guardian angel, of course. Mm-hmm. But the intensity, intensity and the extent of those challenges decreased dramatically, alhamdulillah, right after the miracle, and they never really rebounced again. Alhamdulillah wa shukurillah Alhamdulillah wa shukurillah Alhamdulillah So one question is um, that the audience might be wondering right now So knowing that you were in a very bad state before and Alhamdulillah you, you, uh, Allah has, has taken you out of that state um, But when you were in, in a very bad state and you got married and then you had kids, and then things got worse for you mentally and emotionally and even physically. Um, a lot of the audience members might be asking, is it fair to your wife uh, that you went into this kind of marriage without knowing what you were dealing with, or the fact that she had to endure all of this? Like As you said, you know, she was taking care of you, she was taking care of the kids, she was a working mother, um, and she had her own personal issues, obviously, we all do. So, um, and, and now, alhamdulillah, things are much better between you, as, as you said, but how, how would you respond to this? It's a very difficult question. Right. There's no easy answer for it. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to her? No. No. Honestly, no. And it's also one of my remaining main concerns Hmm. it's also one of my main concerns my main remaining concerns that on the day of judgment on the day of resurrection Mm -hmm. I will have to face her but I did this I married her Fisa Bilila 
Mm-hmm. When I got married, I was 100% same-sex attracted. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in the need of marrying a woman. Mm-hmm. So I only married my wife for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I only married her because I wanted to complete my deen. Mm-hmm. And I also married her because I knew that that would be something that would guard me, that would keep me on Surat al-Mustaqim. So if nothing else, I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will step in, inshallah, and tell her, he should have told you, but you know what? Because you endured all of that, I'm giving you Jannah, inshallah. And that that will make her forgive me. That's very, very sweet, mashallah. Ameen. 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 So one of the questions that might also come up um, with the listeners who would say, um, we have tried to give this up for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's still very painful, it's still so devastating. In your case, Sinan, you have had, um, you know, this guardian angel in your life who has facilitated that. Had it not been for him, that choice would have been incredibly difficult. He wouldn't have been able to do it, right? So it's not just a matter of, at this moment, I'm giving it up for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and SSA is not going to be a problem in my life, right? So there are nuances and there are layers to that, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And what I want to say, and Barakallahu for uh, for pointing that out, what I want to say is that I had, I had to deal with SSA for three decades mm-hmm. and I was suffering for two decades when I met my guardian angel, mm-hmm. okay? And when he met me, I was in a complete state of devastation and suffocation. Right. And I was virtually lying in the gutter and I was just about to commit the mistake of my life. So two decades of devastation mm-hmm. evaporated within 40 days. SubhanAllah. And this is what my message is to the Muslim Ummah. 40 days of love. 40 days of unconditional love. This is my message to the Muslim Ummah. Accept people for who they are. Love them. Give them understanding. Don't ostracize them mm. because you are afraid of their challenge. Mm-hmm. It's not contagious. Yes. You, won't, you won't get infected. You don't have to air your disgust. Don't alienate them. Approach us the same way you would approach any other Muslim dealing with any other challenge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you, Absolutely. given us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if someone who has a drink, drinking problem comes to you, comes to the masjid and says, you know what, I have a drinking problem. I suffer from alcoholism. I don't know what to do. You won't say, I will be low. What is that? Can you get, uh, get, get out of the masjid now? Mm-hmm. You'll say, subhanAllah, with all the empathy and all the love, all the caring that you can monster, you say, subhanAllah, that must be really hard. How can I help you with this? May Allah help you with this. Let's make the ask together. Right, yeah. and you would give them support. And exactly, and you exactly. Would them. exactly, exactly. So, mm. so, and 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 for us to do that, for people with SSA to do that, mm. we need an inviting environment. Mm. And I didn't feel that I could do that, even though people, as I said, people really loved me in different Muslim communities in my country. But even though I had that, I didn't feel safe enough to come up. To 
to come out to them, mm. to tell them that I am suffering from this. What can I do? Can you please help me? And I needed that so badly. Mm. And isn't it tragic that when I finally decided that I needed support and I needed to come out, I could only do that to, that, to a non-Muslim? Right. And after having done that and feeling the immediate relief that it gave me and I needed more of that, I could only go on a gay website and tell that to promiscuous gays instead of going feeling that I could go to my Muslim brothers and sisters. Yeah. Isn't that tragic? Absolutely. That's why I'm doing this. This episode. I mean, I don't... Let me say this also, and you know this, Wahid. Um, I have had a lot of reservations doing this mm. episode, yeah. telling my story. Um, and some of the reservations were obviously that I knew that I would do this so thoroughly with so many details that actually if someone who I know listens to this, well, he or she would immediately know who I am. Right. Okay, so there's a risk. And also, I knew that it would be really painful. And to be honest, I this is the first time in two years that I've went back to my suffocation. After the miracle, I closed the door to it. And actually, my guardian angel asked me if we could write an article about this. And I said, yeah, we could do that. But I never did it because it was too painful. Right. Okay. Right. So when I'm doing this, it's because of two things. First and foremost, I want to give a message to all my brothers and sisters who are suffering from SSA that regardless of how grave and severe, suffocating and devastating you might feel that this is, and that there's no light at the end of the tunnel, in fact there's no tunnel, it's complete darkness. You're in a dungeon and it's rotten and it feels it's smelly and it's complete darkness there's no way out there's no way out and a lot of people are on the verge yes. of suicide yes exactly and I had that death wish for so long mm -hmm. so regardless of how devastated you feel and how hopeless you feel you should know that I've been there in your shoes I felt the exact same thing but you should also know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obviously always keeps his promises and that he will Lift this burden for you when the time has come. There's hope, and you should never lose hope. I lost hope, and it was almost fatal. Please don't ever lose hope. This is my message to all my brothers and sisters out there who are suffering from this. I know what you're going through. I've been there. I've been there in your shoes. It will get manageable, inshallah. It will get better, inshallah. The second you're ready to make peace with your destiny, inshallah ta'ala. And I hope that you will find someone who can help you facilitate that. Which brings me to my second message to the Muslim Ummah. Mm -hmm. Please reach out to your Muslim brothers and sisters who are suffering from this. We need you. It's absolutely crucial that you step up. We need you. You may save this may be your ticket, ticket to Jannah, inshallah, to help a fellow Muslim reach peace and acceptance. And on top of the reward that comes from that, you will have a lifelong Muslim who will make du'as for you. I have made niyas. I, I make a lot of du'as for my guardian angel. 
every single day, obviously. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I can't stop making du'as for that man. Mashallah. Alhamdulillah. Obviously, he's mm-hmm. my guardian angel, he's mm-hmm. my savior. And on top of that, I have made du'as that every single breath of mine is to be accepted as a du'a for him. So please, to the Muslim Ummah, please, please, please stop ostracizing us, stop alienating us, create an environment that is inviting. It's called Dawah, it's an obligation. Mm-hmm. Please uphold that. Brother Sinan, I would like to sincerely and wholeheartedly thank you for coming today with me on this episode. I know it wasn't easy at all for you to open up that part of your life with me, with the audience. I am sure that a lot of us have been kind of triggered, have been taken back to our pasts, have have experienced the ups and downs with you. Um, on behalf of everyone listening, I would like to sincerely thank you, Jazakallah Khair and Barakallah Feek, for, for sharing with us your story. It's a story of, of pain, but it's a story of triumph, alhamdulillah. It's a story of courage. It's a story of vulnerability and healing. Thank you so much for being vulnerable with us today. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing with us your story. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for always having a place for him in your life and for sharing with us your wisdom and for choosing to come here to 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 share your story with people, to tell them that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, to tell them that there is hope and to tell the Muslim Ummah that we need to step up and embrace our very own. Please, yes. This message is incredibly important, alhamdulillah. I'm really, really honored. I'm, I'm humbled to actually have you today, and I'm just moved. I've been moved throughout this episode, subhanAllah. Um, before I end this episode, I would like to, to make a prayer to, um, to Brother Sinan, to his wife and his family, to his guardian angel, of course, to all of the family on straight struggle who has been supporting you, alhamdulillah, and to everyone listening, to everyone listening, whether you struggle with SSA or not, um, may Allah lift you up. May Allah love you and fill you up with His love. May Allah guide you and keep you steadfast on the righteous path. May He fill your days with happiness and serenity and taqwa and guidance and peace. May He heal your wounds and help you grow and heal and be embraced and loved and allow you to love others and be loved in ways that are healthy and pure and out of, out of this world, inshallah. And may Allah give barakah and tawfiq and may he bless all of those individuals who have helped you, particularly your guardian angel and everyone who has stepped in to help you when you needed that. Alhamdulillah. Um, may Allah allow you all to enter Jannah without any punishment or account with all of your loved ones inshallah this has been subhanallah what an episode (laughs) what an episode Um, thank you so much again for being here thank you for inviting me Jazakallah khairan and I like to tell you that I feel very strongly about this podcast series Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah when you first told me I was so 
uh, excited, alhamdulillah. I didn't know that I was going to be a part of it, subhanAllah. Uh, but uh, I, this is, this was missing out there, and I'm making du'as that it will reach out, uh, and that it will reach our brothers and sisters, first and foremost, who are suffering from SSA, um. uh, and who are struggling with their faith, mm -hmm. uh, subhanAllah. Um, and I'm also making du'as that it will make the hearts of the Muslim Ummah open, inshallah, um. that, that, that Al-Fatah will open their hearts um. towards their brothers and sisters, inshallah. Um. This is really an important work. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and reward you immensely Ameen. for this work. Ameen. It's really, really important and it's missing out. It was missing out then, now it's here. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. May Allah bless you. May Allah protect you and may Allah preserve you, inshallah ta'ala. And may He bring you to the day of resurrection without any accountability, inshallah, and open the gates of Jannah to you, to Jannah al-Firdaus. Wide open, inshallah ta'ala, and invite you and make you among the neighbors of the Prophet, inshallah ta'ala. Ameen, ameen wa iyaakum, and to everyone listening, ameen, 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 barakallah I'm, I'm moved to tears right now. <laughs> Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Yeah. And with this, we have reached the end of today's episode. I would like to thank my special guest today, Sinan, for joining me and for sharing his story. I look forward to talking to you, inshallah, next Friday when we address the genesis and the causes of same-sex attractions in a first part of a two-episode uh, series, inshallah. Until then, I would like to remind you that, as you know, our episodes are available on our website, awaybeyondtherainbow.buzzproud.com. And you can listen to our episodes anytime using your favorite podcast apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn Radio. You can email me anytime on awaybeyondtherainbow at gmail.com. And if you'd like to send your salams to Sinan, to give him your love, to give him any pieces of advice you would like to, to give him, please feel free to reach out through the email and I will personally forward him your messages, inshallah. Until next Friday, inshallah, have a wonderful, wonderful week, inshallah, and I look forward to talking to you very soon. This has been Wahid Jensen in Away Beyond the Rainbow. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.